This is the one with a cyber no-face. Boy jobs and girl jobs. A cyberman in the cupboard. A steampunk cyber giant. A TARDIS balloon. And a terrible ending. It's called The Next Doctor. Here we go! We're still on our endless voyage. All through time and all through space. With Slavine and Angels now. Dalek, Cybers, Uden, wow! Tennant, Smith and Eccleston. And Capaldi, he's the man. Doctor Who is cool again. That was Russell's master plan. Who back when? Reviewing all new Who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Rose and Donna, Amy Pond, Rory, Martha and beyond. Join us on this odyssey. What other choice could there be but who back when? Who back when? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to yet another episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or dog pass. This week, we are reviewing another New Who episode, N056, The Next Doctor. That's right. The first of the Tenant specials, and by we, I mean me, Drew Back When, and to also an extent... This guy. Which guy? This guy? You guy. Hi, I'm Ponkin. Hello, everyone. (laughs) It's just us this week, because Marie is off gallivanting around the world. Where is she? What is she up to? Galloping around doing good. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. So, So, we've been looking forward to this one for a while. We have been. Did you remember this one? Did you have a very distinct memory of this one from before rewatching it this time around? Well, it's interesting. I should have, or at least it would have been interesting, if I had written down my thoughts before this episode and how the memories matched up and how they did not because i think what you and i were remembering was the first half of this episode yeah i was gonna say something like that yes exactly (laughs) (laughs) and how enjoyable that was because this this episode is at once a wonderful and a dreadful episode (laughs) (laughs) absolutely we're gonna be taking the words out of each other's mouths all evening long (laughs) i imagine yeah so do i Mm. so before we get to that shall we do the scout scout? yeah Oh, oh, we did it again. (sighs) Yeah, let's do that. (laughs) (laughs) Time for us to synopsize, lobify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brief and listen to this overview. This free-for-all we like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who. Doc rocks up in Scrooge's London, only to hear himself be summoned by a would-be companion, and subsequently to see the next Doctor answer the call. The next Doctor, however, is somewhat unorthodox in his methods, low-tech in his gadgetry, and old-fashioned in his gender politics. So Doc decides to act as his companion. A string of murders and the recent disappearance of children from local workhouses have aroused both Doctor's suspicions. Something cybermanic is afoot, and together these two Time Lords must work to save London and piece together their mysterious fractured past slash future. Be scout over, you are welcome. Aren't you just? Wow. Where do you want to start off? I want to start off not in this episode. Okay. (laughs) Because... We have some overhanging politics from the last episode, some some oh, fan right. service. Oh, okay. Since the last two episodes of RTD were all about fan service. Yeah. Our fans, after the last episode, pointed out about our um, discussion about the Doctor's regeneration. Oh, yes, of course. Yes. Oh, and an RTD, after having bent the rules last episode, he's playing in that area again here. He's teasing us with, apparently, a proper tenant regeneration this time. Mm. And so, it's on our minds this week, so I think we can address it now. Basically, after our last episode, where we argued whether Capaldi was the 12th or the 14th, and what counted and what I, I, didn't... Can I just clarify? If yeah. you look at the website, if you go to whobackwhen.com, yeah. it, he's very clearly listed as the 12th. Yes, and he is commonly known as the 12th, but he's actually the 14th. But, also, 
Okay. In the Day of the Doctor, you've got that famous line, No! 13! Oh, yes. So Capaldi at the same time is 12, 13, and actually, whisper it, 14. You know that a certain someone is grinding his teeth and just preparing another <laughs> vitriolic comment to pop on the website because what? of what you just said. Possibly. Look, I get why our fumbling around last time not always resulting in getting the answers completely right <laughs> in terms of who the regenerations were given to because they were actually given to Smith just before he turned into Capaldi. Yeah. I get that for fans with an encyclopedic knowledge that must have been fairly frustrating to listen to. Sure. Yeah. But the, f the fact is, the point we were making last time was, that was speculation we are all engaged in at some point before Time of the Doctor. Yeah. RTD didn't need to muddy the regenerational waters like this for a massive anticlimax, which we said last time. And actually, here's the thing, right? Go for it. Moffat does uh, Day of the Doctor and Time of the Doctor. In Day of the Doctor, which, which is where the 13 scene comes around, you've only got one tenant. According to Capaldi being the 14th, you should have two tenants. Well, tenant is going, allons-y! In one TARDIS, there should be another tenant going, molto bene! In another oh, TARDIS, there should be two tenants, apparently. Because we've had tenant one up until the beginning of Journey's End. Now we're in tenant two territory. If if Moffat weren't trying to... I don't to think so. Wait, 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 wait. Isn't it... It's it's 13, including the War Doctor. That's why he's saying 13, right? Oh my no, god, no, we're because, doing this again. We're no, doing no, this again, dude. Dude, dude, I'm on top of this. <laughs> You should really, you, you know, you should really do your search. Okay, yeah, yeah. P power top the shit out of this. Come yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Capaldi <laughs> should be 14 because he is 14 because the 13th because regeneration. Because we have two tenants. Yeah, and the yeah. 13th regeneration is what is impossible, is what breaks the rules. Yeah, okay. And so Capaldi should be 14. Therefore, if you're going to have every doctor flying around Gallifrey doing the calculations in the TARDIS over the hundreds of years, yeah. that, there should be two tenants there. But I don't think Moffat wants to acknowledge this. I think even Stephen Moffat, the current showrunner, is saying, you know what, RTD, you really fucked this up for me. I'm going to sort this out next episode, but for now I'm going to brush it under the rug. That's very possible. Yeah, because I'm embarrassed by you and what you have done with my show. <laughs> <laughs> with my show? What is now my show? <laughs> so, that's very possible, and also I absolutely think that going forward we should call him even Stephen Moffat. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but basically I'm saying that there is a lot of fudging and a lot of cloudiness and okay, we didn't have all the facts to our fingertips last time, but there isn't actually a satisfactory uniting answer to all of this. That's, and it may be well, the I mean, case... The fact that we're having this conversation now, that other people have corrected us online and that when you look online, as in just on the, the vastness of the interwebs, you find multiple different versions of this, just various fan theories slash various official versions that have been, you know, sort of ratified by Moffat or RTD or BBC or whoever. Yeah, I think you're probably right. <laughs> There's, it's still fairly nebulous despite being canonical. Yeah. So, you know, we're sorry if we went around in circles last week and again a little bit this week, but, you know, stick with us. We're, we're trying to have fun here. It's... Yeah, yeah we're, I mean, we're learning along, along the way. That's the whole point of it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, so it, it, segueing from that to this particular episode, okay. uh, I don't know how valid this is because I can't remember if I read this on Todd's Wiki or, or some whatever, some fan sites. During your extensive research. My, as, oh, my extensive As who back when showrunner. Absolutely. Oh, oh, oh fantastic. Oh, I like that. That's nice. <laughs> oh. I'm so hard right now. The the, uh, the approximately 10 minutes of Googling that I, <laughs> that I invested pre-recording, I, I did read that shortly before 
sorry, not shortly before this, but between the last episode and this episode is when it was officially declared that Tennant was going to leave. Right. And and therefore, they added all these layers. I think this now comes from Todd's Wiki. They added all these layers of subterfuge when producing this particular episode. So they, or, and when releasing it, they didn't credit, um, uh, what's his name, Jackson Lake as Jackson Lake. They credited him officially as the Doctor. Uh, uh, they made all these other things. They, they made up a fake ending for this episode, a fake clip for this episode uh, and so on and so forth and I'm assuming that the idea was this is now where another regeneration might happen I mean at Christmas always at Christmas right and that people watching the show were to expect it to happen right now which actually is wonderful it's great yeah for half the episode for half the episode. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've rewatched, I've, I've watched this twice now in the past few days. Dude, the commitment you're showing to this <laughs> is just intense. I, well, I was going to say, I've, re- I've watched it twice now in the past few days, and there's actually only one scene that uh, stood out for me as, oh, yeah, okay, cool, that was kind of clever. But it, 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 that first time around, it didn't really dawn on me, and that's that Tennant uses his stethoscope on Jackson Lake, on the next Doctor. Right. And then doesn't say anything. Whereas the second time around when I was watching this, I went, oh, well, he's obviously just hearing one heart. That means from this point on, he knows that that is not the next Doctor. Ah, that passed me by completely. And that would have... I feel like that qualifies a little bit along the lines... I mean, it it qualifies as one of those things, like the BBC crediting him as the next Doctor. Or the Doctor, sorry, rather than Jackson Lake. Mm. So you you think there's an alternate one, perhaps, where he hears that there are two hearts, and then... Oh, I don't think so. Is there an alternate ending where David Morrissey... You know, is the Doctor and just blasts off in the TARDIS. No, I don't think so. How good would he be as the Doctor, by the way? Well, I... I It's hard to say. I like him. I mean, he immediately had a commanding presence and charisma. I I don't know where I would stand on him after 40 episodes, which is where we've got to with Tenants. So it's a bit yeah, harsh maybe, to compare yeah. a new guy suddenly swooping in and all he has to do is be as screen-filling as possible for half an episode with a guy who is, let's face it, on his last legs. Yeah. <laughs> Trying not to glaze over at the 50th, (laughs) I'm really very sorry. (laughs) Of which we get two in this episode. (laughs) Yeah. And and also, it makes it a little bit extra difficult for us right now, because I I think we're both in a position where we're hoping that we're going to get a very different Doctor the next time around. What, to Capaldi? Yeah. I mean, to every Doctor we've had so far. Maybe not a white English male, you know, or a white British male, I guess. (laughs) Have a female Doctor. Doctor. We've had Missy now as the master. Why not have a female doctor, for example? Or let's have anyone who isn't pasty white and going to go bright red at the first sight of sunshine. You know, <laughs> the, the uh, maybe I should cut that. I don't know if that's offensive. The, the, you know what I mean? We've, and then, have we ever had a ginger doctor? Because that's who you're describing. That's basically who I'm describing, isn't it? Yeah, but, but I mean, I'm... or I mean, we among the list of candidates that we've had that we've talked about on the show, we've had Richard Ayoade. We had the guy. Who plays the pilot in in I think it's Rogue One actually, not Force Awakens. Yeah, Rogue One. Dot dot dot. I think he did a spiffing job, and we know yes. that he can do a really intense, dark depiction of a character as well from The Walking Dead, where he played the governor, where he was this king, viciously evil and dark 
person. Oh, right, okay. I mean, I, I mean I've so never seen it. It's like the anti-next doctor. He's walking around with an eye patch. He has, he, like, a, a, a fish tank full of severed heads. He's just, like, this fucking awful person. Love him. He seems to be a really game actor in general. Yeah. Because... He gets to do the booming, confident thing, and then he does the very quiet, vulnerable thing. And also, he pulls a lot of silly faces in this episode. Oh, he does, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh, you know, experiencing various things humans aren't usually subjected to. He really gives his features a workout. So, yeah, I think he would have done pretty well, mm. potentially, in a parallel universe. Yeah. Parallel Doctor Who universe. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Right. Okay. Now we've covered him. <laughs> well, we haven't. <laughs> we haven't really. Okay, go for it. Okay, what can I say? <laughs> Did you like all of his uh, low-tech versions of the Doctor's gadgets? Oh, he knocks the Sonic on a door frame. Like, oh, it makes it? a sound, doesn't it? So... I suppose I can buy that because these concepts are just in his head and that's the best sort of patching together of them it. he can do. Yeah. And the TARDIS as well. Tethered aerial release designed in style. Very good. <laughs> I <laughs> didn't like he's... the designed in style, but the most of that acronym I... Oh, I can't... I Why, what, what's not to like about designed in style? It's very silly. Well, they've had balloons for the best part of a century by that point, since the Mongolfiers. So. Yes, I know. <laughs> but it, why is he said to have invented it here? Hmm. I'm, I'm not sure. Are they... The Doctor gives him credit for it. Yeah, they... Because all... Uh, you know, I, I dropped the Mongolfier brothers, like like I like I knew them well, but I don't actually know how their balloon worked, but it must have been gas. It, yeah, so, or... Well, yeah, surely. Yeah, it wasn't what just... Else? It wasn't them just blowing really hard upwards <laughs> into the balloon. So, so yeah, the, the gas isn't a new element. I, I don't... You're right. What is... What is he getting credit for here? I don't know. Mm. Okay. Yeah, well, regardless, I thought that was quite nice. Okay. I liked all of his little... I mean, wait, sorry. I'm saying all of his little gadgets. He actually only had those two. I suppose so. Yeah. yeah. The rest of his mannerisms and everything else reminded me very much of the Eighth Doctor. Movie era Eighth Doctor, not uh, audiobooks and, you know... 50th anniversary 8th Doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of foppish and floppy head and, yeah, silly. Yeah. He could have fit While in, being very gentlemanly. He could have fitted in very easily. Yeah. To the canon. I think so too. Hmm. Oh, Dagnab. But still, we got Matt Smith. Yeah, know. we did. If if it had to be a choice between him and Matt Smith, well, I Matt guess Smith. hindsight tells us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What about his relationship with Rosita? Okay. Rosita, the rose, the li the little rose. Oh my, how the fuck have I not figured that out till now? And that's why the doctor says nice name. Yeah. Ah. But he says it as though the doctor named her. It's like, oh, well done for giving her that name. Nice one. Well done, mm. old, old chap. So fuck you. No, <laughs> that's her name. No, 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 he's he's nice, nice one for uh, picking a companion. It's entirely based on her name and making me look a bit less racist by <laughs> going for a non-blonde. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Okay. I thought Rosita was good. She didn't get as much screen time as she could have, I suppose. No, no. She was played by, and I apologize if I pronounce his name in any way wrong, Velile Shabalala. Okay. And that is a wonderful name, by the way. It is. It's a marvelous name. Mr. or Mrs. Shabalala, whoever picked your daughter's name, well done. <laughs> 
it is a beautiful thing to say. But she didn't get to develop much beyond being capable and feisty. Yeah, I mean, she, she has that one scene where she punches What's-Her-Face, Mercy in the face. She does do that. I, and, and that's the only time where she... No, actually, there's that and there's the time where she rushes upstairs with the axe and saves both of their lives. Oh, oh completely implausibly, because yeah. they're being dragged along at... A high velocity. Yeah, and quicker than human speed. She's running upstairs, carrying a heavy axe, but it doesn't matter, whatever. Yeah, whatever, well done. But I... I Suspend your disbelief. I didn't actually make the connection between she lamps Mercy yeah. like River lamps the Doctor a few episodes ago in the library. Oh, wait, what? You don't remember the Doctor's going to be like, I'm going to sort all this out, and River's like, no, you're not, mate. Knocks oh, him right. out cold, yes, and that's when course, she gets in the course, throne. Of course, of course, yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. Have, um, presumably we've had other companions, uh, KO, the Doctor, or various alien baddies? Possibly, but I still I think it's fairly rare. That Donna must have done it at some point. Well, no, she opens her mouth and the oh, force of it. her whirlwind, you know, throat her, just her, knocks her them off her feet. skills. Yeah. Just take, take everyone by surprise. Bravura. <laughs> There's no oh, standing yes. up to it. <laughs> They they either they either just keel over or break out into spontaneous applause. <laughs> exactly what it, what happens. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> checked out. So, but okay. So returning to Rosita, I I liked her. I thought the name maybe was a little bit on the cheesy side, but fine. Um, it went over my head. So if you thought it was too obvious, apparently not. Okay. What was I going to say? Oh yeah, it, there were. A, a number of instances when other characters interacted with her and I, I guess sort of treated her the way that they would at the time. Right. So we have the example of the, the next doctor, Jackson Lake, telling her, you must do exactly as I command. Uh, a doctor's companion just does what the, whatever the doctor says. This isn't what a woman should be doing. Uh, this is man's work. And she's very strong and sort of stands up for herself. And he's like, well, what do you think saving you from that cyber shade? Was that a, was that woman's work? I think she says something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, she is strong in those confrontations. Then we, oh, we also get the scene preceding her KO Mercy, where Mercy goes, Who are you? You could be quiet. I doubt he paid you to talk. Yes. Wow. Right? And that then prompts her to show some spunk, you know? Oh, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> to prove I mean. that that's not in her line of work. Exactly. <laughs> if anyone's dishing out the spunk, it's going to be her. Exactly. <laughs> that's really sexy. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. You know, you, as you went through that, I realised that we have sort of touched this area before. And again, I'm not talking about escorts. Yeah. I mean, in Human Nature Family of Blood, Martha had to be the subservient one. Yes, you're Subservient right. woman of colour in an age where they were meant to be less than silent. Yeah. And utterly, you know, invisible. But here... It, it sort of came up a few times, but I didn't really under... They never really drew it together. It just sort of happened, right? I think it was dealt with a little bit better in this one than even in, in recent episodes, where I'm thinking of... What's it called? The Thin Ice, I think it is? The Capaldi one? On the River Thames? Yes, exactly. Yes. The Thin Ice? There are, there are obviously echoes of that here. Yeah. Same century. Same century, and you get Bill actually addressing that fact. When, when they first arrive, Bill says something like, well, my skin colour isn't exactly going to go down very well here. People may not react positively to my presence. But then in the episode itself, it is completely just 
painted over. You know, it's it, all of a sudden there are lots of black people everywhere, and everyone's completely cool about it. Like everyone seems very open-minded and modern about it, which is I feel kind of a shame. You know, and I think we've had that conversation before. We had that conversation mm. certainly when we talked about Girl in the Fireplace. Did you read out a quote at the time, dude? I wasn't on the podcast at that time. Oh, you weren't on that podcast. I've never seen sorry. the episode. Oh my goodness, you have to see that episode. It must have been Nick. Maybe maybe it was Nick then who read out a quote. I, I remember anyway talking discussing a quote from whomever, someone at the BBC, someone on the Doctor Who production crew, who was saying that this is our chance to rewrite history in a much more positive way and just show how it should have been. But that's not how you should do it. Because that's like correcting history. That's like, you know, that's erasing mistakes and teaching children the wrong thing, basically. And allowing them to maybe repeat those mistakes exactly the proper guarding against or at the very least not allowing them to understand the context of prejudice why shouldn't people know that there was discrimination for example back in the day yeah and while thin ice didn't do a very good job of that this one i felt did yeah i think it's difficult because you know society wasn't homogeneous back then okay you had you had the occasional sort of um colonial so-called monstrosity of, of you know people were taken out of their societies because they looked different to the white norm and paraded around as freaks all around Europe and things. Mm. You also had the occasional accepted black gentleman, and you had pretty much everything in between. I, I completely buy that there would have been discrimination against women and against black women then as now. Um, but I think there, there would have been pockets of society where there, where there wasn't actually a problem because, I mean, in terms of... I mean, I don't know much about this. I certainly don't know Nor everything I, about I, this. to be honest with you. But I know that... you. Eugenics as a science came along in the late 19th century and in a lot of ways probably made a lot of this worse than it was beforehand. So back in 1851, when this is set, you didn't have, you know, for want of a better term, scientists or scientists of the day proclaiming well, we've measured their heads with our phrenology instruments and they're completely differently shaped to ours and so they must be inferior in every single way. And so they wouldn't have encountered here and on in the Thames Fair in 1814. None of that would have been a factor. So I can I can allow them just not addressing it for an episode. Okay. It, and then they don't have to regurgitate it every time. They can they can No, I agree. I don't think that they should they should regurgitate it every time, but I I disagree with the way that they conducted themselves in Thin Ice. I, I think I think Thin Ice is a good example of this. Maybe I'm misremembering that, but it's certainly been the case in, in certain episodes of, of Doctor Who, where, whereby they deliberately show the opposite, you know. Right. Uh, I, I think that's wrong. Anyway, so returning to this episode, I think this one did it quite well. It was it was nicely balanced. Yeah, they didn't make a big deal out of it, but they still didn't, you know, they didn't whitewash it. Yeah, but also, I don't think there's that much specific to colour in this episode. No, I think it's more lot, gender, if anything. Yeah, it's folded into the much broader gender yeah. discrimination, which Mercy picks up on yeah. quite a lot. Oh, yes, absolutely. And she certainly brings it to the fore and makes us think about it. I don't know. See, I, Are you I, thinking about the, the funerals? scene. The funeral scene and the confrontation with the doctor at the end and just a little, basically every other line she says actually, how like a man the king will rise, that sort of thing. And it's throughout her character, writ large. I sort of feel, I don't know what lesson to draw from her character arc as a whole, really, because okay, she has to go up against the doctor and he doesn't belittle her and he does listen to her. Yeah. And goodness knows, I don't want a glib soundbite as a lesson, but at the same time I find myself not knowing what to think. Maybe that's constructive and I should go away and think about this. 
What do sorry, you, you think? Don't, sorry, you don't know what to think about what? Well, I, it was such a major part of her character. And then, you know, how things get wrapped up in a moral lesson for us. Or yeah. there's an action which clues us. It's a signal as to what to think and how to integrate that into your views and beliefs and things. Here, they have their confrontation and it's sort of unaddressed. Well, I don't think that there's any arc to her gender views. No. Uh, and, and that's completely fine. If if anything, what the, the episode does, it sort of maybe draws a, a, a slightly tenuous link between uh, she's a, an incredibly strong mind, uh, as in so, so strong an intellect. She has so strong strong in intellect that she can oppose even the Cybermen themselves. And uh, she is a like, just defiantly strong woman. So strong a woman, in fact, that she becomes the king. She doesn't become the queen. She becomes the king, just sort of in defiance of all of these gender stereotypes. Right, right. right. No, dude, dude, I, I, carry on. I, I'm saying teach but, me the ways. Well, I, I, I'm not teaching you anything. I'm just saying I don't think that there's any arc to it because otherwise the lesson learned at the end would be, hey, uh, flick on the nose. You shouldn't think that you're better than a man or possibly flick on the nose. Now she realizes, oh, actually, everyone's equal, men and women alike. But... It, it's it's almost better that she doesn't realize that, that we don't even address that, and that in, instead she's, you know, incredibly potent on all fronts. Okay, okay. I, Does I, that make I, sense? I think that yeah, makes I sense. Yeah, I can see that. And, and there is... Because there are saying, more interesting things about her than her view on men, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying there's there's no point to that part of her character. I'm just sort of struggling, really. I, I mean, I get that she is in a particularly repressive time for women, and yeah. that does come out at the funeral, where she's saying, you people never even noticed me, and she clearly does have this fearsome intellect. Yeah. And now she finally has a channel for it. And she can ingest all that info stamp information, and, and that's amazing. And that's a chance women just didn't have until, and apart from in minuscule numbers, until very recently. Well, to be allowed an education, you mean? Or, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and to be allowed to get as far as men and to surpass men. Yeah. Where possible. But, uh, I don't know. I don't know why I'm, I don't know why I have a problem with it, really. Wait, so hang on. What, what exactly do you have a problem with? Do you have a problem with her... I have a problem, I suppose, with... Female chauvinism. Possibly. Okay. Um, I'll tell you what I do. I'll oh. tell you what I have a problem with. I have a problem. I want to come back to these other parts, interesting parts of a character that you teased and I okay. dragged us away from, because those need discussing. I have a problem with the ending. Oh, no, but the ending is terrible. What, the, the fact that she is defeated by uh, suddenly having a guilty conscience? Yes. That's ridiculous. Yes, exactly. Because, and maybe that's where my problem comes from, because she should be given... She, the, this whole episode is about giving her a voice, right? Yeah. And at the end, she should be allowed a scene where she has the voice, rather than just self-destructing at the sheer guilt of it all for having risen above her station or whatever, or whatever slightly incorrect um, interpretation of it I'm allowed to put on it because she doesn't make one herself. You know, I, rather than just the Doctor saying... Okay, but, and then she goes, oh, I can't handle a but. (laughs) (laughs) The ending made no sense to me whatsoever. Because he says something like, oh, well, all I did was I severed the neural link or something, and I opened your eyes possibly for the first time in... I think, far too many years. Yeah. Yes, she's no longer sort of tied into whatever the network is, but also... Well, actually, sorry, she must still be tied to the network in some way, but she's... Otherwise, not... how could she explode all the Cybermen and the King and etc.? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're right. Uh, but on top of that, she's also... She's more autonomous than she was... 
She's no longer influenced by the network. She's connected to it, but she's not influenced by it. Very elegantly depicted by her eyes no longer being, you know, pitch black. Yeah. But it's the whole, like, oh, you've opened your eyes for the first time in far too many years thing that bothers me because, what? So but she wasn't being coerced into in some way for years and years. What did he do? Did he just give her, he spritzed her in the face with uh, some knowledge lights and gives her, like, oh, here's the story of London, here's the story of whatever, blah, blah, blah. And that somehow, what, expands her mind to also include greater morality or something? Yeah, I mean, surely she's all too aware of women throughout history apart she from Mary. Elizabeth the first. She literally a moment earlier had access to all of the knowledge of the Cybermen. Yeah. She saw the time vortex itself and all of infinity and everything and beyond. Like she knew everything oh, she, that there was to know. She did. Yes. So it, so what is the doctor blasting at her? He, he, it's like he's just he's trying to do an energy surge or something. Like oh maybe she's not prepared to learn that or ingest that much knowledge at the same time, but that makes no sense. And if it's just a case of, oh, well, by shooting all of these lights in her face, that's a certain wattage that maybe her brain thingy can't handle, and that's going to jog something loose, also doesn't make sense because what the fuck? She was, before she even met the Cybermen, surely she had all the, the means to be a good person then as well. And what exactly is it that she has a guilty conscience about? Does she feel guilty about having enslaved children? We have to talk about about that, by the way, because that was dumb. Yeah. Is it that she feels guilty for smushing half of London under her feet? Uh, is it that she feels the effects of body horror because she's suddenly part machine and that it's not even a guilty conscience? She, she does look down at her bound hands and reacts like, particularly yeah. viscerally to that. Yeah, you're right. So it's, it may not even be a guilty conscience. Maybe it's actually just fear and revulsion. Yeah. But you know what else? What? If what, it, Drew? What? If it was a man <laughs> in that situation... Yeah. Would he just blow himself up for having received a jolt of conscience? Well, if it is conscience. Or, or whatever it is, a jolt of whatever it is. I mean, the, the stereotype almost dictates no. Yeah. That instead what would happen is I revenge. Really, I really wish Marie were here, by the way. <laughs> yeah, you're right. This, this would be, this is a, we need someone else on this panel. Ugh. But, but, uh, it's, it's, oh, you're right. If it were a cyber king, a male cyber king, then the stereotypical reaction would be one of revenge. It wouldn't be one of or oh, uh, guilt. You know, sort of active self-destruction. Yeah, I mean, okay. In some ways, perhaps her reaction is more positive than revenge, and just well, I'm going to swing my dick even harder this time, and this yeah. time it'll stick. Yeah, you're right. Oh, awesome. <laughs> also, wait, what? No, not hot. Gross. Sorry, God, it's a very wash. hot day. You should really wash. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. So, okay, it's it's not an evil response, but I want a better kind of good response than yeah. just well, that's the end of me. Then I guess I failed as a woman. <laughs> Is that what's happening? I mean, what is happening with this ending? I've got another question for you. If he's already decided, well, I'm not going to send them somewhere where they can have a peaceful, happy life on their own without assimilating all of humanity, mm. why does he have to blast her in the face uh, 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 and, and then watch them self-destruct? Why not just use the other gadget, the Dalek gadget, and just zap them into wherever? The transdimensional warp? Yeah. Yeah, why not? And he doesn't even have to mongolfier all the way up there. He could do it from down below. Yeah, and just do the woom woom vortex 
the other way around. Smoke rings, yeah, up from the ground. Exactly. But, I mean, the, Jackson Lake then says, oh, that what he's done is he's just transported them directly into the time vortex where they will safely disintegrate. Yeah. It's not a case of he's now transported them to a cyber planet or whatever. He's literally destroyed that entire thing. Everybody so cheer! Just, hooray! Yeah, but why not just do that straight away? Yeah. Seriously, just do that straight away. Uh, he has to talk about her free will first, because you remember free will was a big part of the yeah. whole last Oh, series. this echoed, uh, what are they called? The Sontarans. Yeah. Right, let's go up to the spaceship and give them one last chance, even though I know that they are genetically compelled to say one thing. Ugh, no, it's so dumb. I really, really hated the ending. And even the, like, the physical execution of it is so bad. I mean, what are the, the casualty numbers? Oh, of the smushing. Of the smushing. And also, when he does the Dalek boom, boom, boom thing onto the Cyber King, it... How is he engulfing just the Cyber King? Oh, and how how is the Vortex not, just like, not spreading out and the whole of Eastern scooping, Europe is gone? Well, why not just, at the very least, scoop up all of London right around the feet of the Cyber King? Yeah. They're like... Hundreds, if not thousands, of Londoners are disintegrating in the time vortex as we yeah. speak. And if, like you said, he had just done this from the ground pointing upwards... Safer. No such problem. Possibly a few seagulls would have been casualties. <laughs> I can live with that. Not oh. even not even Zeppelins, because this is proper London. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no worries there. No, it's stupid. And her character starts ping-ponging all over the place even before we get to that scene. And one at one moment, she's like, why aren't they all rejoicing? And then in the next breath, she's like, everyone shall be crushed. Yeah, yeah. Really uh, bad. I've got two more questions about the uh, Cyber King. About Just that whole two? Thing. Well, it, two questions to, to set you off, because I have a feeling <laughs> that you, you could really, really uh, rant about this. Question number one, why children? And question number two, where did they hide the Cyber King? Uh, they hid the Cyber King uh, down in the depths. In the... This thing, <laughs> which reaches up to the stratosphere... A stratospheric bender. <laughs> is what it is. Yes. <laughs> Kill all the cockneys. That is exactly what it is. Yeah. So where did they hide it? it? All of a sudden it just rises up from the Thames, which is not quite that deep. <laughs> not at all, no. <laughs> Ah. No, it's... it's. When was the... Hang on. Okay. okay, so the London Underground starts in 1863. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So... Soon thereafter. Okay. So I was just pursuing the possibility off mic of whether this was in a underground tunnel that had started to be built. But no, this is a no. whole decade before. There is no explaining at all. How, how tall is this thing? 200 feet? More. More than Surely that. Surely so much more. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it makes no sense. But okay, so fine. Let's let's talk about the children then. Why why do they have why are they kidnapping uh, a couple hundred kids and making them just <laughs> shovel coal into a furnace? They're that's, fucking robots. That's what you did in the 19th century. Kids were expendable organic components, much how, like in oxygen. How is that more efficient than having the cybermen do it? Surely that is better. Oh, you got me there. Oh. I mean, they have these incredibly strong, gigantic metal men that can lift 
however much that can shovel all the coal they need that probably require more power than you get from burning a bit of coal. Yeah, who have put together 99.98% of this Cyber King already. Exactly. But but no, we're not going to make it unless we grab a hundred kids and (laughs) make them lift a few boxes. And put them on the screen in front of Ponkin where he can be really (laughs) pleased about their sudden appearance. Oh, I mean, that, that whole... The set was quite elaborate. It looked like something out of Hook. It looked like Frantic Factory out of Donkey Kong 64, but we'll, we'll go with Hook. But but that scene itself, I hate it so much. It is such a bad idea. I get that this is a Christmas episode and, and maybe we need to have some kids there. And if we're, if we're having this... We said before, this is in Scrooge's London and, and this is during the... Like, possibly the most Christmassy period London has ever seen, at the very least at the start of the episode. Yeah. I get that we need to have a few, please, sir, can we have some more-esque scenes? Oh, dude, wouldn't it have been great if he'd pulled aside one kid who was, I don't know, had some reason to stand out, and he said, what's your name? And he said, Oliver, sir. And the doc said, well, there's a twist. Oh, yes, sir! Where were you when they were penning this episode? <laughs> <laughs> Just Dickensian the whole thing up. Just go the whole hog. <laughs> Give these children a reason to exist, as you say. Uh, yeah, yeah, I hate it. I know that you hated one of them in particular. Yes, mm. I did. I hated little Frederick. Frederick. Standing poorly composited up there on that high shelf. Why is he up there? <laughs> Why he, is he not saying a word? Why is he just standing there? Yeah, fucking useless creature. If he's so fearful and craven <laughs> and cowardly, then why did he not stop 50 feet earlier during his epic climb? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> okay, another question. Why do why does the Cyber King send Cybermen into the the kids' factory, whatever the hook uh, set to quote delete the children? Why not just have them die? The whole thing is going to go up in smoke, right? Yeah, or they can be converted, or they can be they converted. can be Cyber Kids. Which ah, oh, Cyber oh. Kids would be such a great Saturday morning cartoon spinoff. Oh my God, hanging with the Cyber Kids. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, hang on. Is the cyber kid not just a Teletubby? Oh, maybe, yeah. Because of the thing on the head and everything. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Uh, okay, which leads me to another question. What exactly is a cyber shade? Oh, it's just the no face. Yeah. It's a guy in a gorilla suit with a <laughs> a bit of copper on the front. But why? I don't know. Um, I mean, where? Do, what? what's the... Body. I mean, what have they stolen actual gorillas and then cybered them? No, surely not. It's it's weird because I mean, at the beginning of the episode, they say it's a cat or a dog. It's at certain but times they, they strike quite leonine poses, but and then it's, yes, but, they're but then they're running like gorillas. So yeah, you're right. It's kept deliberately vague, and so it's unsatisfactory in three or four different ways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in every conceivable way. Whatever they are, let's say that they are sort of genetically modified cats or whatever. Okay. Because the doctor does say it, it seems like a primitive conversion with the brain of a cat or something. That's yeah. what, he th- what he says, I think. So let's say that there's a, the, the body is somehow genetically modified and then they've just shoved a cat brain in there. Which, by the way, I don't, I, I mean, this episode actually got me questioning cyber, uh, cybermen ideology it, to the point where was, I just don't get it anymore. You need a human brain in there, but you want to remove everything that makes it human because you want to then replace it with a computer. Why not just build a fucking robot? It, it makes no sense. Anyway, so cyber shades. Why mm. would you shove a cat? 
cat brain and that. We, we were marveling at the neighbor's cat earlier this evening, ladies and gentlemen of podcast land. Stinkerbell. Stinkerbell. Stinky, who is... Stinky to her friends. Yeah, stinky to her friends. Stinky, stinky to us. Stinky to you and me. I mean, Stinky is... She's nice. She's... she's. I'm, I'm, I'm sure she's very, very nice. I mean, I know she's very nice. But she's a fucking parasite and such an <laughs> idiot. I mean, she's really dumb. She doesn't pay taxes and she does nothing but lounge around and eat food that we buy for her. Shameless scavenger. Yeah, exactly. So now imagine turning Stinky into a, a like cyber Stinky. You don't get anything of value out of that. <laughs> there is what is the added value? Well, they do have some sort of value in that they convey messages to other Cybermen. Don't she they? uses one of the Cyber Shades as her driver? Yeah. So th- there's some pliability, and they perform some menial tasks. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. You'd think you'd think there'd be plenty of. I mean, maybe there just aren't enough metallic components in 19th century London of proper cyber-grade material. Well, the doctor said that inside the Cyber King, there is a cyber factory oh, capable fuck. of converting millions. Yes. Yes, he did. And surely, because it's so big and strong, it can now take over the world and steal all of the Earth's resources and use those resources to turn more people into Cybermen. And why not start with the people actually in the factory when it starts rising up out the Thames implausibly? Uh, and how about maybe give the Cyber King a cyber body? Why is she allowed to keep her organic body? Yeah. That also makes no sense. God damn it. Well, they, they, do you know half what? of this episode is trash. Do you know what? It, it nearly had me going for a second because <laughs> when she said about how... Okay. Okay, here we go. Seems to be potentially going in a new direction when she says about how the Cybermen's logic and strength are combined with her fury and passion. Yeah. And, I, and she talks about a new race of Cybermen. And so I think at this point... Okay, maybe we could go somewhere interesting yeah. in the last 15 minutes. Like, and, I'm on board with this. Yeah, and boy, do we not. No. But you're right. You're absolutely right. I thought about that as well. This could be a, a new... I mean, she says it's a new race of Cybermen. And this could be a very interesting thing. This could actually end up being, I mean, potentially a benevolent cyber uh, Cyberman race. But uh, yeah, imagine, imagine the Cybermen coming up to us and saying, Look at you, humanity. You're always warring. You clearly can't think logically enough. We're a benevolent superior race to you. Why will you not join us? Why do you insist on being unevolved in yeah. this way? And what a difficult thing to untangle that would be. Yeah, exactly. Let's have that. Well, maybe at some point in the future. I'm sure if it raised your eyebrows and it raised my eyebrows and it probably raised a lot of podcast lands eyebrows, it probably also raised some eyebrows at the BBC and someone thought, that's not a half bad idea. Maybe we can revisit that at some point. Yeah, and maybe we should get these guys on board and they can be our new staff writers and... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Those two chaps. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we, we have spat on this episode yeah. for some considerable time. Should we, we should go back to something positive. We should go back to the first half. The good half. Oh, okay. All right. Because <laughs> the setup is brilliant. The cold open... Love it. Fantastic. I love the Doctor assuming that Jackson Lake, let's just refer to him as Jackson Lake, the, yeah. re- assuming that he is the next Doctor and trying to sort of uh, do his elderly, potentially somewhat <laughs> sort of senile self a service by acting as his companion and withholding some of the truth and helping him along the way and maybe sort of healing him and himself in that fashion. Love it. It's yeah. really well done. And Tennant holds it all together really well. I think that his acting in the first half of this episode is top-notch. Yeah. He, he has to do a lot. He has to tell us what he's thinking and tell us what he's projecting to the next Doctor, and it all holds together 
really seamlessly. It's not forced at all. No, I agree. I absolutely agree. And you have, it, you have him balancing the, uh, the, the, the happiness of having encountered himself, the sadness of knowing that he is at some point going to die, and slash, you know, the sadness of seeing his future self, as far as he's aware at that point, without a memory, counterbalancing that with just the joy of working with this man. You know, when they're being dragged across the floor and Rosita's just saved their lives. Yeah. I, I, I found that scene to be adorable, for lack of a better word. It is just this incredible, incredibly sweet and lovely scene when they embrace and they jump around and they're just they can't stop laughing yeah and there's also a lot of latent humor in there where jackson lake says all these things and he's slightly wrong and he hasn't quite understood and the doctor knows that and he his reaction to it is obvious enough to us that we can laugh along at how what he's obviously thinking but it's not so obvious that jackson lake is like Sorry, what? And he has to go, yeah, oh, exactly. nothing. Exactly. Which a lesser episode would have done over and over again. What, what was that? Oh, nothing, nothing. They do a very good job as well of, of having Jackson Lake having absorbed some of the egocentricity of the Doctor and therefore assuming that whatever he tells John Smith, it must be the truth. And obviously John Smith will be impressed by us. Yeah. You know, when he talks about the TARDIS or when he talks about the, the sonic screwdriver or when he even says, like, this is going to blow your mind hole wide open, buddy, but these dudes are from space. Direct quote, by the way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it, all oh, of those really? bits, he, he yeah. does such a, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, I mean, they both do a good job of it. They yes. both do a very good they job. They make a great double act. Yeah. They really, really do. Oh, oh. I mean, this, this episode could have gone in, in such a different direction and done so much better. Well, to be honest, I think they just, revealed the mystery too early and possibly part of why they revealed the mystery too early is because they shoehorned his son is utterly unnecessary his son yeah he's saving son the son from the top and everything yeah. they they could have found the son in a in a different way i feel like um or maybe just not had him at all and and then yes. there could have been 10 more minutes and the whole great beginning to crap ending ratio would be skewed that much more and we'd be giving it a much higher score but in addition to that, I, I, I think it, it is painfully obvious that he is Jackson Lake from the get-go. I mean, oh, within see, the story. See, again, again, I was quite slow on the uptake there. It was very hot today. Okay. <laughs> so the, the, uh, the note that I wrote was pretty obvious from the start that he's Jackson Lake. Quote, he died a terrible death and his body was never found. Oh, see, I... I Somehow. How do you know he died? How do you know anything about his terrible... You know nothing about this man. Yes, but at the same time, the Cybermen are capable of unknown ways of execution and body disposal. It's not so outlandish that, you know, they could have just completely vaporized the guy. Oh, actually, I suppose that's very true. I hadn't considered that. Yeah, but, but the only reason I didn't put two and two together is because I just failed to apply elementary logic to those sentences <laughs> well i i failed to consider the alternative but the it, it, i felt that it was obvious from that point on the, the fact that he has this blurry memory of it and and that we have to see the blurred recollection as in the physically blurred image yeah just ruins it for me it, it, as in it ruins the surprise for me because i know that okay well we're gonna see this a few more times it's gonna be gradually less blurry and i know that there's someone there that we we don't see yet but we will see them was that you remembering or was that you just able to predict though because i know i think i remembered very little about this i thought that they handled the i hate to use the word escalation so i always use that um the development of the flashback scenes yeah very well i thought that just 
But including the, oh, well, yes, I now remember having lost my wife, but there was something else I lost as well. Da, 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 start from the top. Well... I didn't think that was very he, elegant. He didn't done. have to say there was something else, dot, 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 start from the top. Oh, look, my son up there. If they just got rid of the son. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Until that point, I thought they did pretty well. And I thought it gave David Morrissey a chance to do a really affecting turn, realising that his wife had died. Yes, I agree. Yeah. But. But then five seconds later, Murray Gold's mischief music was starting up again. And yeah. Tenant was after another MacGuffin. It was like, dum 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 <laughs> He's in mourning over there, but Tenant's over here. dum 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 Yeah, you're right. I mean, the, the, he does such a good job at the, like, roughly in the middle of the episode when he realizes what's happened and he understands, oh, he, he lost his wife and he's just in tears. It's a very sad scene. Then shortly thereafter he's on a mission and then by the end of the episode i really feel like he got over his wife very quickly fuck yeah yeah i mean no don't yeah. just go oh well i've got a whole new life now i'm a widower and yeah. he needs a nursemaid yeah with a, with a mute child to raise <laughs> I mean, all of the drama and all of the gravitas that he lent that character up until the middle of the, the episode, I feel is almost sacrificed by the end of it. The, the ending sacrifices everything. everything. All yeah, the goodwill right. we've built up in this episode. You're right. I mean, I'm going to read out a note. Go for it. That I wrote at about 45 minutes in. I wrote, at this point, I paused the episode and didn't resume it for a while. Oh, because wow. this was an effect as I write, of bombast fatigue. It's partly Marigold's incessant fanfares ripping off Aladdin. It's got exactly the same brass. Go back and listen. And partly just massive disinterest in the fate of this new variant of cyber bastard. Because I knew at that point that the interesting bit of the episode was entirely over. And we just had 10 minutes of Sturm und Drang and yeah. just painful resolution to get through. And I was entirely correct. Yeah, and sadly so. 10 minutes of yelling and running and so bloody what? Mm. It's interesting that you say that it reminded you of the um, Aladdin score. I, I wrote down soundbite 48 minutes, music almost identical to Schumacher's Batman and Robin. Yes, uh, we're on the subject of the music now. The music yeah. in this episode was an utter chore. That's interesting. I only made one observation, and that was the Schumacher Batman Robin reference, but the rest of it doesn't even really ring a bell to me now. What was it? Well, how was it? Even at the beginning, within five seconds, you can tell it's Victorian. Yeah. Because of the stirring imperial music. And I, okay, I get that helps to set the scene a bit, but the music never lets up from there. Okay. It should be, should be cueing us rather than beating us over the head. It, like with the, the, uh, the sad scene that five seconds later is utterly undercut. And it just bothered me in about four different places. Oh, this wow. Time. I think they really needed to tone it down a bit. And some scenes seem to be especially elongated, like when the children are being marched oh, uh, by yes. Tom Petty with the, <laughs> with the top hat on. <laughs> Entirely so Murray could finish his symphony that he'd composed yeah. for that transition. And there's this... There's a lot of that, actually, in this episode, where the Cybermen are stomping around the cemetery, and that's great for two or three shots. And then it's like, well, when are you going to finish this? And then when they're killing off the crowd of identical guys wearing identical suits, killing them in identical ways, yeah. just so we can hear a bit more music, it's like, get on with it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. 
I didn't really get the cemetery scene in general, to be honest. I, I mean, I, I liked the, the verbal confrontation in the beginning. Yes. Because she came across as an incredibly good villain. Mm-hmm. And the, the men were just so dumbfounded. It was, it was, that was quite wonderful. Yeah. But then when she reveals, oh, this is why I killed that guy. I killed that guy so that you would all be here for this one funeral so that I could then kill all of you except for some of you whom I will convert and you'll see dot 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 in a little bit. Why? That's just like, oh, wow, Hanna-Barbera logic. Is that really how we do it? Wouldn't it just be easier to pluck these three dudes that you need? Yeah. Why do we have, why, do, why are we investing 10 to 15 minutes of episode of screen time to something that makes no sense? Mm. I mean, aside from these four dudes, yeah. she kills all of them, right? Yeah. So what a long game she is playing. She killed one guy ages ago <laughs> to get every, because she figured this is where everyone's going to be. Mm. No, it, it's just, it makes no sense. And she also has to smuggle Cybermen and Cybershades to walk through the mist, which Admittedly, nice effect yeah. for about 20 seconds. Yeah. It's and a strong look. It is, yeah. To begin with. And, I mean, visually, it's a very striking scene, but it just, it makes no sense narratively. No, and also, she's got to explain this convoluted plan, and they just got to stand there and listen to a woman. They don't listen to women. Exactly. They'd be like, shut up, madam, shut up, this is not the place. They would all be rebel, 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 houses of parliament just... I feel uncomfortable having a boulder in a cemetery. Get in there in the grave with him. Shovel the dirt on her, lads. <laughs> that that would have happened long before Mrs. Yeah. Chalk Cheese <laughs> Bucket and Archway. You're the four I need. <laughs> Fuck's sake. <laughs> but that said, I thought Dervla Cohen, who was the villainess in this scene and uh, this episode, yeah. I thought she was pretty good until she was sat on the throne. I thought, yeah, I, that's probably true. And so she was wasted at the end as well, which gives the ending even more pain because she was, she was, um, let's dial back. Is it? No, it's two years to the runaway bride. Like, she's better than uh, Sarah Parrish as the Empress of the Rachnos, I think. Oh, of course. Yes. Of course. Yeah, there's no comparison. And who's she following in the last Christmas? Well, the Empress of the Rachnos. The Empress of the Rachnos had no, she didn't even really speak. Yeah, yeah, yes, that's yes. nothing. That's nothing. Okay, okay. So, you, I mean, if anything, you might be able to compare to Missy, for example. Okay, uh, a strong female villain on the show. But that's, I mean, Missy is the master. That's someone who has decades worth of lore. Yeah, right. Well, this is why I brought up the Rachnos Empress because she is a one-off Christmas villainess. Oh yeah, that's true. Okay. Much the same way as this show, sure. and yeah. she is doing better than that. Yeah, right up until the end. <laughs> A, how about this? How about comparing her to the Great Intelligence? Okay. So there you have a, a an admittedly an alien intelligence, which isn't the case here, but you still have the alien influence of the Cyberman, who is in charge of, through its incredibly powerful intellect, in charge of all of these little drones. You know, we've had the we've had a command Yetis, we've had a command the Snowmen, we've had a command those weird dudes and top hats. Like, and here we have a great intelligent individual commanding another set of drones metal drones this time yeah similar and also we've had the great intelligence in christmas specials well a christmas special later on coming up with matt smith mm-hmm. so yeah anyway that's my five cents I, I've well got, i mean I've got richard e grant wins there uh, definitely yeah i think yeah. so definitely but that's just because he's with nell <laughs> he's, he's <amazing. laughs> yeah I mean, it's, it's a shame. Right up until, as I said, that um, I'm going to do a new race of Cybermen thing. Yeah. She was she was ahead. She was she was positive, and then the episode was just pulled out from under her, fortunately. Yeah. 
I mean, to give a slight bit of background on her, she's Dervla Cohen. She was in Ballycus Angel as a character and in one scene of Father Ted as the same character. Oh, okay. She's a higher grade of TV actress in that she only starred in Casualty once as one person, (laughs) rather than having to go back 15 years later as someone else. Understood. (laughs) (laughs) I love that that's the scale. Okay. Yeah. All right. But she hasn't really, she hasn't really had a, a real um, headlining role since this, maybe. Or at least not where I've seen her. Yeah. Which is a shame. She can act. Mm. Yeah, she definitely can, can mm. act. Oh, I have another thing okay. that I don't like about the Cyber King. Go for it. They do mention that the Cyber King is born, and this is on Christmas Day. There are so many more lines they could have used. Oh, here we go. In that. Like, a king is born today... Glory to the newborn Cyber King. Let Earth receive her Cyber King. Come and behold him, born the King of Cybermen. <laughs> they could have done all of these. Not one. You know a lot more about that than I do. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, point taken. Clearly they could have done a lot more. Hmm. Hmm, indeed. What happened? What happened that they had two-thirds of a great episode? And just... I, don't know, I mean, this is RTD's fifth in a row. Yeah. Is he... Getting worn out at this point. I mean, the specials, maybe we should take a moment now at the start of the specials and then take another moment at the end of the specials. But the, the we said before, actually before even reviewing the last one that we did, that these specials are not good. They're not great. And we weren't really looking forward to them. Would you, you said that. And then I said at least three out of five of them are good. Oh, three out of five. That's what I, I was going on this one being good, Waters of Mars being good, and one out of... The end of time, parts one and two amounting to good. Oh, okay. And then Planets of Dead is bad and the other part is also bad. Yeah. Okay. So I have since then, I've not seen uh, the the last two, but I have already watched, obviously, the next Doctor I've seen, Planet of the Dead, and I've seen Waters of Mars. <laughs> I mean, spoiler alert, I, I kind of, Planet of the Dead, I, 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 I mean, I enjoyed huge swathes of it. Yeah. And then what, was the ending terrible? Yeah, it wasn't great. And then we had... <laughs> Then we have Waters of Mars, which is also largely a good episode, I think. Yeah. I'm going to have to rewatch it again, obviously, and maybe I'll change my mind. Yeah, and we'll get to that podcast. Yeah, we will. Stay tuned. But then, ultimately, there's something that really drags it down. And very, I mean, very much the same thing can be said about this one. Maybe that's just it. Like, Doctor Who is a little bit in limbo at the moment for whatever contractual reasons at the BBC. I don't know why. The show wasn't in jeopardy as far as I'm aware. Although it wasn't going to a full-on series. It had to be for doing a long time. specials. So. Yeah, so, so something was in limbo, clearly. Hmm. And then maybe for that reason, it was just slightly slapdash, half-arsed, pasted together. Does that explain maybe why... The Cyber King looks good sometimes when he is when he is walking mechanically around London, but when he's rising and the water's falling off him, it just looks the most CGI, the worst composited or whatever. I didn't really think about that. I, I thought the CGI was pretty good. I mean, it could have been that I'm watching this in low res on Netflix and that's half mm. of the problem, but it did not seem to be up to the previous series standards. Okay. It's, oh, I tell you what, when, when she's talking about the Cyber King rising and there's their, their little theatre stage and they're sort of moving yeah. slowly up the screen, pixel by pixel, that looked rubbish. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have another look at that, and I'll also plop a screenshot on whobackone.com. Yeah. It wasn't a very complicated sort of image, but it managed to look blurry and 
CG. Oh, dear. I hope, I hope your screenshot bears it out. I, I, well, I, I hope so, too. The, there were other things that felt naff in this episode. I mean, the cyber shades certainly take the cake. And then, what else? Oh, the Cybermen with exploding heads. That was used a little bit too generously, and I really didn't like it. It just yeah. turned into a cartoon. And in a future episode, that wouldn't have flown at all, because there's the episode where the Cybermen evolve very quickly. And so, oh, yeah. he's got this whole bandolier of info stamps and it looks great he looks like such a badass when he shows up with them and they're basically like bullets yeah and and that that for that shot it is worth it but to just go pew 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 again and again and again yeah yeah that wouldn't fly anymore yeah agreed also what happened wait hang on wait 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 there's a huge chunk of Dalek technology in this episode that is just sort of glossed over. Somehow they got a hold, they stole technology from the Daleks? What? Or, or, yeah, and part of their database. Wait, what? In the void? When? What's going on in the void? How? Is the void just a bit darker than your average? <laughs> Because they, they seem to be able to, you know, pit themselves against each other and array, yeah. uh, marshal their forces to war in the void. Yeah. I think the void is a bit overdone at this point. Possibly. Uh, indubitably. Strike my possibly from the record, please. Okay. Oh, my one thing. There is a spiky mace swinging oh, around yes. this Oh, yes. Oh, I knew it. What the hell is that for? I, uh, I, I made the exact same observation, though in my mind it wasn't a spiky mace. It looked like a sea mine. A mine, you know. Okay. Ugh. But, yeah, what was... It's just a technological shit, is what it is. It's yeah. just like, oh, let's put some techno shit in this room full of children that should have been CGI'd. And worth showing twice, apparently. Oh, so twice? So you could question it twice. <laughs> I only saw it once, but it was gratuitous. Yeah. And also in this episode... <laughs> My final note, we get okay. a count up. Oh. The energy levels are at 60%. Oh, now they're at 90%. Now they're at 96%. Oh, you're right. Please. <laughs> I, I don't understand why you get so worked up about countdowns and count-ups, uh, but I love them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, hit me with your last notes. Okay, well, not really last notes. I'm, I'm going to plop in a couple of sound bites. We didn't really say this, but we do get not one, but two sorry, really sorries. Sorry. Really, I am so sorry. I'm sorry, Miss Hartigan. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so, it doesn't really bother me, but, I mean, we've been soundbiting these uh, throughout, and, uh, yeah, there we go. It's tradition. Yeah, I mean, what do you think about those? Because he's clearly varying them now, but if you have a catchphrase, shouldn't you own it? Shouldn't that... <laughs> continue to be your catchphrase why are you tinkering with it now you know what i'm not entirely sure why we hated it in the beginning why do we hate it at the beginning i don't hate it anymore i don't think the doctor needs a catchphrase no well, I mean, and you know what this I, doctor this doctor has so many of them yeah. allons-y i i I'm came sorry multibene multibene i came along avanti after you and Nick had already marked out his catchphrases as a no-go area. So <laughs> I, I, I'm not responsible for this. No, no. Although I entirely agreed with it. I mean, personally, I blame Nick. But the... Yeah, it probably is Nick's fault, <laughs> to be honest. Oh, but yeah, I, I don't know. Someone's clearly had a word in RTD's ear and he thinks, well, if I put really in there, they won't see, <laughs> they won't spot it. <laughs> yeah, I probably. don't know. 
We haven't addressed the very end of this episode. Oh, right. Okay. Where Jackson Lake gets to talk to the Doctor about Rose and gets a look inside the TARDIS. Oh, yeah, you're right. I, I, I Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think he did a... Wait, sorry, hang on. Did you want to say something about this? Or you're looking at me questioning me, but I, I don't know. Did well, you just because I can't predict the future. I mean... Okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being open to what experience may throw at me. I... <laughs> I mean, I do have a note, let's feast in memory of those we have lost, rather than trying to dig them out of the vast areas of ruined houses and trampled wreckage. That, <laughs> you know, half of London is just <laughs> utterly destroyed at the moment, but let's go down the pub. <laughs> <laughs> let's have a nice Christmas meal. <laughs> yeah, you're right. But then my next note is, oh wait, he means Rose, and she's always more important. Yeah, yeah. The big rose, not the little rose. Yeah. The... All right, speaking of, did you like the scene where where the Doctor meets Jackson Lake now holding his kid, now remembering everything? His entirely useless progeny. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> his, his lump of flesh, essentially. <laughs> Jackson wants to help him, and the Doctor says, no, you have a child, you have something to live for, stay here, I'm going to do this, I'm going to steal your balloon and jackson looks him in the eye and goes but you don't you have something to live for q 30 seconds of silence <laughs> super moody silence <laughs> just staring at each other it's like is it clear yet is it is it clear enough yet no not yet okay i'm gonna stay silent a little bit longer <laughs> do you get it now no i have nothing to live have for. we got an hour of footage yet yeah all right keep staring uh okay done all right cool and then he runs off it, that's the that's the most gratuitous reference to rose without even mentioning her name it is the worst one yeah um okay well you know what i liked the ending with him in the tardis i thought his reaction was really sweet yeah oh, it's it's nonsense complete and wonderful silly nonsense yes yeah, it was very nice. Agreed. That was nice. So, it, the very, very end wasn't bad. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. But, yeah, you make a very good point. At the very least, maybe they could pitch in. Can we not just get a little quick cutscene where they go like, oh, well, all of London is now in despair. We're going to have, like, a, a city-wide Christmas dinner, not just, hey, you, me, and the balloon. No? Yeah. Nothing. Also, Jackson Lake has just exhorted London to pay homage to the, the doctor in his balloon, the marvellous doctor who saved them all. Yeah. And isn't he great? And so half of London will be thinking, well, where the fuck is he now? Now we have to rebuild our flattened society and yeah. bury our thousands of dead. Exactly. Where's this great helper gone? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think now it is time to rate this. Okay. <laughs> and now it is time to rate this. Did we love or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. We've already discussed this is very much an episode of two halves or three thirds. However, I fractionally distill it. It starts off brilliantly. Yeah. And the Doctor says enough of brilliant in this episode, by the way. But it is for 25 minutes. It is a great episode. It is chugging along in the mid fours. I think, and is heading in that direction. But then, oh dear, we've already talked about all the crap. I mean, the episode had some humour, but it wasn't actually particularly funny. And Christmas ones are meant to be funny. Yeah. So the ending was sub two, so I had to sort of split the difference here and give it a three. <gasps> wow. 3.0. 3.0. Okay. I think you're uh, you're generous. The, the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I could echo everything that you've just said. Please. Yeah. Please, I have an ego the size of the doctor's. <laughs> 
the, the I don't want to come across as a glass half empty kind of guy, but despite the fact that I completely agree with you that yes, half of this episode is wonderful. It's such a feel-good episode. It's such a pretty episode. It's nicely produced. It's 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 well acted. It's got such a good story, and it's going. It's heading in a direction that's very interesting. It's got this tremendous villain. Unfortunately, squandering all of that potential, fifty percent in, yeah. it takes away more than those initial fifty percent give. You know, and and consequently, yeah, at its peaks, it is in its mid fours. Absolutely, largely thanks to the governor, David Morrissey. But then, after all of the nonsense that we've spent discussing, unfortunately, it gets dragged down a lot for me. And I've now seen this twice in less than a week. I don't need to see this episode again for years to come. Wow. I'm giving this a... You know, I, I, I'm I giving this... I'll give this a 2.0. I had, I had written 1.9 in my notes just, just because. I didn't even want to give it that 2. <laughs> but no, no, I, I 2.0. Done. So you know what I think and I, I would love to know why. I think we're gonna have very similar things happen next week, but I'm gonna take off more for the ending of Planet of the Dead yeah. than you are. Uh, probably. I'm really interested to figure out, you know, what what's at work there. <laughs> because spoilers I fucking hate that scene with the bus at the end. <laughs> I know. And me that's too. gonna be minus three and a half for me. <laughs> so yeah, however me good it is up to that point, it's gonna be way down there. But yeah, this yeah, no. one, I don't know. I really <laughs> suffered through it, but somehow somehow overall maybe it's just because I've been looking forward to rewatching it for so long. Maybe mm. I'm still biased in that way because of that anticipation. Maybe. I just don't want to admit I'm r i am I was wrong. <laughs> Listener minis? Let's Listener Minis. We have three listener minis for this one. Three? That's right. Who's the first one from? Tracy from America. Hello, Tracy. Thank you very much for sending this in. Tracy starts off. Okay, let's get my objections out of the way first. Keep it to 250 words, Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> this episode was about a human acting doctor-like because of Time Lord stuff being poured into their head. Like last week? Holy shit, Question good mark. Oh my god, why did we not think about that? I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, we left this to our many fans. <laughs> they pick us up where we fall down. Oh my, it's super good points. That is a super good... Yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. Carry on, carry on, carry on. Yeah, without any prop... Oh, dear. Okay, so return to Tracy's review. <laughs> it frustrates me that this episode is so great and Jackson mostly escapes harm where Donna does not. The writing does such a great job making Jackson's experience as the Doctor positive and powerful and formative. With the missteps last week, this feels like a slap in the face to Donna's character. Oh, yeah. And when you add in all the gender politics we've been talking about, it's yeah. really even worse. But Tracy continues, ignoring all that, this is a great episode. It's got a nice balance of heartfelt emotion, Doctor charisma, suspense, and action. I like all the duplicate Doctor items we get to experience. The regular screwdriver that is sonic because it can be struck to make a noise. The tethered aerial release developed in style. The identity fob watch. Oh yeah, there was a third one. Yes. Uh-huh. And that was good. It and was that was a, a misdirection and then it was integral to the plot. That was a clever point. It was a clever point. Maybe this episode was worth 3.0. Mm, yeah, I'm not so sure. Uh, <laughs> Tracy goes on. Tennant's doctor is incredibly gentle towards his assumed future self and this creates a real bond between himself and the human Jackson. Note that Tennant subtly shifts his behavior after listening to Jackson's one heart. At this point, it has become a stretch that this person could be him and the doctor goes into detective mode. The use of a familiar foe really works well. There's so much less explanation needed and we can focus on the characters. I found the resolution weak. Doc breaks this woman's brain with guilt? 
Oh, I don't know. Maybe it's fine. And she gives it a rating of a tropical cruise, but your cabin is painted pink and black stripes. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's good. And I tell you what. <laughs> I read a I read a piece of fiction Tracy wrote uh, this week, oh. and I tried to give it a Tracy rating in response to hers. Her ratings are incredibly difficult to come up with. <laughs> so far from saying that's not a number, what's your problem? I now admire these ratings. I can appreciate them for the ingenuity. Oh, I 100% admire they encapsulate, them. Yeah. I'm curious about this piece of writing as well. Interesting. Uh, how did we not think about the fact that we get the exact same theme again, the second time in a row? Yeah. I mean, the exact same thing happened to Donna, and it melted her brain. Yeah, I suppose it has to be a question of quantity. I mean, Donna is completely transformed, whereas Jackson just seems to be modified. That's true. He's brave, but now he's brave with a bit of technobabble, but not even the same level of technobabble Donna exhibits. That's true, but surely there must have been a compromise somewhere. Where I mean, the the only way to save Donna is to <laughs> delete her memory entirely, and then presumably leave her to an inevitable implosion. Because at some point, someone's going to mention the fact that the Earth was, you know, abducted. Oh, let's not let's not get back into that. I, I know, shit, I know, <laughs> sure. But, but I mean, that's, that's quite an extreme. Whereas in Jackson Lake's case, it's just a case of saying, well, you entered a fugue state because of this trauma. Face it. Face it. Shock therapy. Oh, I lost my wife. Done. Okay, now I'm fine. Yeah. Problem solved. And also, he was only hit with the reflected sort of data burst of an info stamp. So it's not the same. Like, no, you're right. It isn't type of. But it is a, it's a. I mean, it, thematically similar. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. And, oh. and I, I feel val- ashamed that we didn't pick up on this. Yeah. And thank you, Tracy. It's a valid <laughs> well point. Done. And it's a valid question to yeah, raise. Absolutely. Oh wow, uh, ladies and gentlemen of Podcast Land, did you know that you can follow Tracy on Twitter? You didn't? Well, you're about to find out how. You can. She is at Yekatnyatnuf. That's Fountain Tracy backwards. Thanks again, Tracy. <laughs> wow, who's following Tracy? Matt Thomas, that's who. Yeah, we need a jingle for Matt. Hey, Matt. We need a better jingle than that. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, Matt, we'll get you that jingle very soon, Matt. Yeah, <laughs> there's a jingle coming up. Okay, so Matt goes. Hi, guys. Congratulations on getting through the RTD era proper. Thank you very much. Only the specials left before we're into the Smith slash Moffat era. So heads down and let's get through them as quickly as possible. Yeah, Matt has said before he is not looking forward to this little stretch. (laughs) Can't blame him. RTD's victory lap year, while not being the most consistent in terms of quality, was notable in the excitement and speculation that surrounded it. (gasps) Is this one going to be good? (laughs) At this point, in brackets, winter 2008, we know Moffat is taking over. Results! But not who will be playing the Doctor or the Companion, so David Morrissey's claim to be the next Doctor definitely seemed plausible. Matt continues, as for the episode itself, Ten materializes in a Dickensian Christmas, seemingly recovered from the emotional upheaval of the Series 4 finale, and almost immediately runs into an equivalently sized narcissist claiming to be the Doctor. (laughs) This cannot be tolerated to persist, however, and so Ten spends the remaining 58 minutes undermining the imposter's identity (laughs) and indiscriminately facilitating the slaughter of Cybermen to make himself feel better. (laughs) Overall, this one is fine if a bit smug and sentimental. Just don't think too hard about the steampunk Cyber King at the end. We also get the first of the now semi-annual use of archive footage showing all prior incarnations of the Doctor. So McCann is definitely canon now? Great. (laughs) And That's a good point. I remember seeing this nine years ago and this was cool to see all the Doctors. Oh, okay. 
in their little montage. That was new. And Matt gives a rating of 2.5, which I think splits us pretty well. I think actually you've probably got it right, Matt. It's probably true. <laughs> He's also added a bit of uh, Matt trivia. Me trivia, he says. I grew up in South Wales and was regularly aware of Doctor Who filming taking place nearby. So when the graveyard scene was being filmed just down the road, I and a few people from my school went to watch. Awesome! At this point, it hadn't been announced that the Cybermen were the monsters for the episode. So when we saw them, we were approached by a burly assistant director and given space rocks, <laughs> quote-unquote, actually silver spray-painted chunks of polystyrene used as debris and explosions in exchange for our silence. Not sure where my space rocks ended up, actually. That is a, that's a fantastic anecdote. Yeah. That is really cool. Oh, awesome. Oh, I'm a little jealous, actually. Well done, Matt. Nice one. Also, maybe the BBC are going to hunt you down now. I mean, it divulged the truth. Very cool. Thank you very much, Matt. Keep them coming. Okay. And we have the third. And this is from Michael Ridgway. Michael Ridgway. Yeah, that guy I know. Hello, Michael. Great to hear from you again. Michael starts off first. What the fuck are the Cyber Shades supposed to be? <laughs> Excellent question, Michael. <laughs> they are utterly useless in every encounter with the Doctor. Why would Mrs. Hartigan have one drive a carriage when she could use someone under cyber control? How could it even drive a carriage anyway with the brain of a cat? Second, data storage info stamps. Why would the Cybermen create such a deadly piece of equipment for Cybermen? <laughs> 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 Very good question. Rant aside, Michael goes on, this is an enjoyable steampunk romp. Everyone is having a whale of a time, except for Drew and I. Uh, the Cybermen feel threatening throughout, more so than in subsequent adventures, and the graveyard scene is among amongst the best Cyberman-related massacres ever. Wow! Other contenders include Cybermen blasting nasty neo-Nazis to bits in the fabulous McCoy adventure The Silver Nemesis, and vomiting Cybermen being disemboweled and decapitated in multi-doctor classic The Five Doctors. I've got to say, based on those descriptions, those two sound way, way better. Way, way more badass, yeah. <laughs> but Michael has actually seen those, so I guess we have to take him at his word. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Extra points, he says, for gigantic stomping Mecha Godzilla Cyber King 2. Oh, okay, interesting. All right. And Michael concludes. The prominent reveal of the previous incarnations of the Doctor via the info stamp is significant. I read somewhere that back in the 2000s, Philistine BBC execs wanted a wall between Classic and New Who, even considering cancelling the licenses for Doctor Who magazine and Big Finish Audio. <gasps> Could this scene be Russell T finally taking a sledgehammer to that wall? Wow. That puts that into a way more poignant historical context. Michael gives this a 3.4 out of 5 cyber shades. Yeah. Nice. Nice one, Michael, in Pakistan. Awesome. Fantastic. A great range of reviews there. You have enriched our podcast, Podcast Land. <laughs> As always. So what's coming up? What's next? <sighs> That's right. Planet, Planet of the Dead. That's the next new who. Uh, the next classic is going to be... The Claws of Axos. Well done. Which I finished this morning, by the way. Mm. It's a steaming pile of garbage. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but is it mercifully brief? It is mercifully brief. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> and that's it. That's it. Cool. <laughs> what about the Marie bonus episode? 
not going oh, to Oh, you're do. right. Yes. Uh, at some point, I'm going to sit down and edit our long-awaited Welcome to the Show, Marie, a bonus cast in which uh, Drew and I sat down and slightly tipsily interviewed her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not like she's not been a co-host to this point. She's but... been a co-host for quite some time, so this yeah. is a, this is a, a delayed, uh, the delayed droppage of this bonus episode. But, but yeah, 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 that's coming up as well, absolutely. Yeah, you're going to feel her like you know her a whole lot better after this. Yeah. She, you will take her to your bosom. <laughs> if you haven't already, which you should. <laughs> Drew, tell me something. What, what do you want? Can people follow you on Twitter? Oh, yes, they can. How do they do that? They can follow me at Drew Back When. Oh, that's a very clever name. Very on brand. <laughs> As uh, if that weren't enough to recommend it. <laughs> you should. Yeah, I, I've got a, a standing alert for all of your tweets, by the way, and they're really hilarious. Oh, really? You can follow me as well. I don't tweet nearly as often, but you can. High five me online, I will high five you right back. I am at Ponken. You know how to spell that. Do they, though? P O N K E N, Ponken. That's you go. my approximation of JD singing that. Now you've got no excuse, podcast land. <laughs> I don't know why I've become so belligerent. This this second pint of cider is <laughs> getting me up in really arms. Trick. Thank you so much for listening. Be rad and excellent to each other. Catch you in the next one. Rock on and cha cha. Bye. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends. Don't have any friends? No problemo. Tell some strangers. Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you on Google Plus? The final's on Google Plus. That's plus who back when. And when you do, tell us why you're on Google Plus. Who back when just got its very own Twitter account? No lie. So give us a follow. You guessed it. That's at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on SoundCloud, vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher, and head on over to our website, whobackwhen.com, where you can leave a comment, submit a review of your own, and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. Not only would it make us super chuffed, and it really, really would, but as thanks, we will transmigrate your iTunes nom de plume into the credit list of trailers for fake Doctor Who audiobooks produced by Who Back When. Have a poke around our bonus episodes to make more sense of that. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next classic Who review, new Who review, or, <laughs> still funny, audio Who review. Cha-chow. Who back when?